Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Shalom. Good morning. Kiora Tato, Kiorana, Tado Falava, Malo Lele, Nisambula, Namaste, and Salam Aleikum. Welcome to this morning's Aspects of Israel program, brought to you by David Swartz on behalf of the Zionist Federation of New Zealand. I'll start this morning's program just speaking off the cuff, so to speak, about the situation in the Ukraine, which has got considerable ramifications for Israel in the geopolitics of the Middle East. The invasion from Russia, first of all, was obviously a total breach of the international law and the... United Nations Charter and as such has caused a lot of concern, not so much military response, but sanctions and various expressions of uh, opposition from countries around the world. But the Security Council was unable to pass a motion of censure on Russia because Russia is a permanent member of the Security Council and has a veto and was able to prevent a resolution criticising Russia from being passed. And that really points to a huge flaw in the structure of the United Nations, which was highlighted in 1945 by the New Zealand Prime Minister Peter Fraser, who said that having veto power would mean that the Security Council could not function in the interests of all the countries of the world. And he was perfectly right. And it's proven by what has just happened yesterday in the Security Council. And for Russia to say that it was vetoing the resolution because it was anti-Russian is just the height of hypocrisy because, of course, it was anti-Russian because it was Russia that was breaching international law. Where does that leave Israel? There's a lot of discussion and a great deal of angst about Israel's position and what it should say and what it should do. There were conflicting views and conflicting statements to start with. Uh, On the one side, no actual condemnation of the invasion and on the other side, uh, strong condemnation. But the issue is not so much over Russia's actions as over where Israel stands in its relationship with Russia and what it needs to do or not do to maintain good relations. Because traditionally, 
Israel has had a good relationship. It has had very many strong differences of opinion and, and criticisms of Russia over the years, particularly over those years in the Stalinist era when Jews were persecuted hugely and not even allowed to leave the country if they wanted to go to Israel. But that passed and uh, there was a very large aliyah of Russian Jews to Israel. I think about a million people went and it made a huge difference to Israel actually, to the, the influx of energy and uh, educated people and very qualified people and very motivated people. But at other times, Russia, as part of the Cold War standoff with the West, uh, was very anti-Israel, very supportive of the Arab countries which were totally opposed to the existence of the State of Israel and supported them with arms and various other uh, gifts of weaponry and, and um, money and anything that it could do to counter the Western support for Israel. But that also passed and our relationships over the last few years have been good. And that has been important to Israel, particularly because Israel is very much threatened, first place by Iran, secondly by the proxies of Iran, which are even closer to Israel geographically, such as Hezbollah in Lebanon and Hamas in the Gaza Strip and various um, parts of the Syrian regime, which uh, is hard up against Israel on the Golan Heights, for instance. And so the argument against condemning Russia outright was that it would make difficulties for Israel, particularly in Syria, where Russia has been supporting the Assad regime and where Israel and Russia came to an agreement over the ability of Israel to fly over the territories of Lebanon and Syria and take action against the moves of Iran to transport weaponry and militias and soldiers into areas much closer to Israel. And it's feared that if Israel falls foul of Russia in that particular respect, then Russia will limit the ability of Israel to defend itself against the proxies of Iran. But Natan Sharansky, who I think you will remember was a very prominent refusenik and was sent to Siberia, jailed and harassed in many other ways for saying, speaking up about the rights of the Jews to maintain their religion within the Soviet Union and also to support Israel or move to Israel. 
but eventually was a, was freed and able to go to Israel and became a politician and a minister and most recently was the head of the Jewish agency. He criticized the people who had spoken out against condemning Russia and said that may be so in geopolitical terms, but in moral terms, it's more important for Israel to stand up against the invasion by a great power of a much weaker neighboring country, which has not been aggressive towards Russia itself. In fact, is not in any particular position to be aggressive and, and uh, has not indicated that it wants to. So Natan Sharansky, once more, has acted as a conscience of the Israeli people and the Jewish people in speaking out in that way. The, the practicalities of what is going on affect Israel. There are many Israelis living in the Ukraine. Uh, they're being evacuated as quickly as possible. And, th of course, there is a Jewish population in Ukraine historically um, for hundreds of years, and uh, that has, on the whole, been very much oppressed by the Soviet Union when Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union, well, even earlier by the Tsarist regimes at the time that Ukraine was uh, part of the Russian Empire, Tsarist Russian Empire. And it is that Russian Empire that Mr. Putin seems to want to recreate because he makes all sorts of historical references to the uh, rightfulness of Ukraine becoming again part of Russia. So th there is a considerable amount of concern about sa the safety of Israelis in the Ukraine. Uh, some of them are there because they have married Ukrainians. Some of them are there because there is a lot of connection between Ukraine and Israel in terms of business and, and political interests as well. And the Israeli government is standing by to evacuate Israelis. Many, I think, have already left the country and are in neighboring states such as Poland, Belarus, and are waiting to be uh, transported back to Israel. So the whole situation is one of unrest and political instability. The other very large question hanging over the whole issue of Russia's invasion of the Ukraine is how and whether it will embolden Iran to take more open steps in its aggression towards Israel because seeing that Russia can invade a neighboring country and seemingly get away with it, as it did with the annexation of Crimea, it may be that Iran thinks, well, if Russia can do it, we can do it too. And that is of considerable concern to Israel because Israel is already worried about the renegotiation of the treaty with the agreement with Iran 
over Iran's development of nuclear fissionable material. And that renegotiation does not seem to be going well as far as the outcome for Israel is concerned. So that is a whole other real problem hanging over Israel and its concerns about Iran, as well as its concerns about the invasion of Ukraine. And Iran has made no, just has not disguised its total antagonism to Israel, and it has on many occasions and on different leaders, under different leaders, uh, expressed quite openly that it wants to get rid of Israel. Well, I'm sorry to start off with a somewhat gloomy uh, view of or explanation of what is going on, but uh, it's hard to see it in any other light. So let me just turn to some items of news which are a little bit more constructive or uh, at least not so worrying. Um, in terms of Israel's links to other countries, the Abraham Accords have opened the door to many improvements in relations between Israel and the four countries which signed up to the Abraham Accords so far, that is Morocco, Sudan, Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates. And recently, the Prime Minister of Israel, Naftali Bennett, uh, made a visit to Bahrain, which is the first ever of an Israeli Prime Minister. And that apparently went very well and there were various agreements signed and pledges made and uh, certainly with Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates, the connections seem to be very much more than just diplomatic or political. They, they seem to be um, seem to have opened up warm relationships at the trade level, at the business level, at the cultural level, and when. Mr. Bennett, Prime Minister Bennett, had finished his two-day visit to Bahrain where he met the king, crown prince, cabinet ministers and representatives of the local Jewish community. There were very warm expressions of how the signing of the Abraham Accords is going to improve the relationships all around and at every level. And and, uh, the Prime Minister has now met the leaders of all Israel's Arab partners in the UAE, Egypt and Jordan and now Bahrain. So that's a good sign and one that people of goodwill uh, welcome. Anything that reduces aggression or standoff tactics or blocking tactics of one sort or another to prevent the countries of the Middle East working together. Anything that improves the situation is is to be welcomed. And it's very interesting that the leader of the 
Arab party in the government. That's, uh, he is Mansour Abbas, the leader of the Islamic United Arab List. Has, he he um, was interviewed publicly at a, at a meeting and spoke very openly about his view of the Abraham Accords. This was, uh, I'm quoting now from a report from the Barcom commentating group in, uh, in England, and that's dated the 14th of February. Mansour Abbas, the leader of Islamic United Arab List, has reflected on his view of the Abraham Accords. He was speaking to the United States-based Washington Institute, where he admitted it was a mistake not to vote in favor of the agreements. He explained that at the time when the Abraham Accords were brought to the Knesset to be ratified, his party was part of the joint list, that's the, the joint Arab list, and as such was committed to factional discipline to vote as a bloc. In internal discussions, he expressed the view that they should be supported, the Abraham Accords should be supported, but was overruled by his parties in the joint list. But he confirmed at this meeting that he sees the agreements as a positive development, and though his priorities are on domestic issues, he's keen to support the tightening of relations between Israel and the Arab world. And... He also, at the end of last year, recognized Israel as a Jewish state. He said the state of Israel was born as a Jewish state. It is the decision of the people, and the question is not what the identity of the state is. It was born this way and will remain that way. Drawing from this experience, he understood that if you want to make a change, it can't be done in those who if you cannot stand up for you for what you believe in. When asked about the latest amnesty report, which labels Israel as an apartheid state, he said, I prefer to describe the reality in objective ways. If there's discrimination in a certain area, then we'll say that there's discrimination in that specific area. He, he expanded quite a lot on his views on the relationship, but first of all, between the Arab parties, uh, the Arab members of the Knesset who are part of the current coalition government and also on that issue of the relationship between Israel and other Arab countries. So it was a very positive and, and well, a, a strong statement of views which I hope will be... Um, important and, and influential in the whole overall discussion. And it is a fact that uh, he said he, he concentrated on domestic issues. It is a fact that in the last budget, the Israeli government voted for very large increases in the amount of money to go to the Arab sector. And generally try to improve the social condition of the Arab citizens of Israel. Let's have a music track. And this is one that, a song by David Deor, who actually came to New Zealand, I suppose it's about 
15 or 20 years ago now, and sang at WOMAD in New Plymouth. And, and I remember now, later on, he came to Wellington and sang at the Botanic Garden sound show as part of uh, Summer City. And, and he's a very prominent singer in Israel. This song is called Shmer al Haolam, Protect the World. And that's certainly what the world has much need of at the moment. So here, here it is, David Deor.
David Deor singing a song about protecting the world. And you're listening to the Aspects of Israel program here on Wellington Access Radio, 106.1 FM, the Wellington community radio station that's been going for 40 years, since 1981, and which provides the minority community groups in Wellington, the ethnic groups and special interest groups to bring their own messages to the airwaves and to the online waves. And a really wonderful service that uh, Wellington Access Radio has been giving to the community for the last 40 years, long may it last. The, I, I was talking about relationships between Israel and other countries, and I saw a news item about Israel through the JNF, the Jewish National Fund, joining forces to combat climate crisis and desertification. This was a, a news item from the 18th of February. Israel's Jewish National Fund and the Republic of Chad in Central Africa have signed a memorandum of understanding to promote cooperation and the sharing of knowledge between them in the areas of water resource management, sustainable agriculture, forestry, and the combat of desertification. There was a delegation from Chad, including the economy minister, that came to Jerusalem and discussed these agricultural and ecological problems. And the emerging cooperation will help the African country to adapt to the effects of the crisis and deal with their consequences. The thing is that that um, Israel, because of its well, because of where it is, has developed amazing technology to fight desertification, and th- through programs for training and research and so it has been able to develop water recycling, water management, irrigation, think of trickle irrigation, drip irrigation, agriculture in arid environments, desalinization and adaptation to climate uh, change and afforestation and things like developing plant varieties which are more are able to exist in desert conditions and and uh, be fruitful in those conditions. So it's a, it's a very good. The thing about Chad is that they had it's it's a Muslim majority country. It had de- diplomatic ties with Israel, but broke them in 1972. And so it took a long time until 2018 before they. Uh, the, in fact, the president of Chaz came to Jerusalem and he was the first president, Chad president, to make that visit. And as it's a very large country, Chad, in Central Africa, it, uh, it, developments there will have benefits for Africa as a whole. So it's time for me to say goodbye. Thank you for listening. I hope that you'll tune in again in two weeks' time. The date is on two weeks' time. The date is the 13th of March, and that you have found the program interesting. You can listen to it as well as by radio. You can listen to it streaming through 
the website of Wellington Access Radio and uh, listen to it afterwards as well. So I will say shalom, salam alaikum, and wish you well. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.